0: on this journey of sanctification to glorify you. And Lord, we do lift up tomorrow Pastor David and the conversation and talk that he will get to have, Heavenly Father, go before that. I pray, Lord, for your spirit to just fill him and I pray for the conversations afterwards also, Lord, and the questions that people may have, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we do pray for this trip to Tunisia with Advancing Native Missions, Lord. We just pray that you already be going before, Heavenly Father. We ask for travel mercies for our beloved trio that's going out again, Heavenly Father. And we also pray for Michelle while David's away, Heavenly Father. And just ask you to please have your steadfast hand, Lord. That it would just be, yet again, another mighty testimony of your hand moving and ministering to those pastors and the people there. And let them have opportunity each step of the trip to point people to Jesus. And Lord, tonight, now, help us as we delve into your word, Lord, to meet with you, to grow for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in Psalm 24, and we finished the trilogy. We did it, team. And that trilogy, looking at 22, 23, 24, seeing the shepherd killed, seeing the care that the shepherd has, and then seeing that return and the rewards for his people. In Psalm 24, we saw Creator God, We saw the holy God and we saw the glorious King, Jesus. Last week, we explored the old covenant and then we also looked to the glorious new, better covenant with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ coming with that millennial reign and ruling forever and ever and ever. And as we looked at that psalm, we were reminded too that it points us to Jesus coming and reigning in our hearts. We saw that bit that to be with him, to go to him in access fully, clean hands and pure hearts. And we made a little joke in that moment, but the reality is none of us can do that for its perfection. But through the blood of Jesus, through our Savior, through Messiah, we are able to and have access to that. We studied and referenced Jacob wrestling with God. And in that, we saw when we think of Jesus and the access he gives, we're reminded, too, of the surrender that we have to have. Where did the victory come for Jacob? In the loss to wrestling with God and the mercy of God in that moment. To check in on the charge from last week, one, how did you do looking to eternity and rejoicing? How many times since we gathered did you think about I'm going to be with Jesus forever and just relish in that beautiful gift and truly savor that living with that eternal perspective Two, did you examine where you wrestle with God where are you wrestling with God because if we're real with ourselves there's always areas where there's a little friction there's a little rub and can you bring yourself to that place of surrender. And who in your sphere, in your circle, needs Jesus to reign in their heart? Who needed you to point them to Jesus? And did you do it? And if you didn't do it, do it after this. The car, call, Bluetooth, whatever. Tell them about Jesus. Point them to Jesus. And we aren't going to, we learned what happened when we all tried to say it at once. We're not going to all say Psalm 23 right now. (laughs) That (laughs) was, woo! But we are going to say, go through Psalm 23. Pray it. Go through. Pray that. Memorize it. Write it on your heart. Remember Jesus, chief shepherd, the chief shepherd. Hide it in your heart that you may not sin against him. Now, tonight we're going to be going onwards to Psalm 25. And the title of tonight's message is Only Him. Now, when we look at Psalm 25, we see this is a psalm of David. And in this psalm, it is a plea. It's a plea from a surrendered and humbled heart. Spurgeon, when he writes of this in the Treasury of Psalms, he says, David is pictured in this psalm as in a faithful miniature. His holy trust, his many conflicts, his great transgressions, his bitter repentance, and his deep distresses are all here So that we see the very heart of the man after God's own heart. Now, while we look at Psalm 25, if we remember way back in July when we started the book of Psalms, in the intro of the book, we talked about the different literary elements that you can see within the Psalms. And Psalm 25, it's one of those that's packed with lots of literary Hebrew literary devices taking place that we also see in regular poetry. One, as you know, I love acrostic poems. This is an acrostic psalm. And in the book of psalms, there's nine total. So you have nine, 10, 34, 37, 111, 112, 119, and 145. And those nine psalms are the acrostic psalms. And what that means is each line of the text goes in order with the Hebrew alphabet. Now, when you look at the psalm and you look at it in the Hebrew, you'll notice there are some places where it doesn't go exactly perfectly, but it still has that overflow for the most part. And with that, the point of it would be some scholars point to it almost as though going through the whole alphabet saying it's hitting everything on that topic. It's covering everything from A to Z. The other idea is it adding beauty to it, just seeing the... the scholarship of having it like that and just going through the line. Also, it aids with memorization and learning. So those are some different theories of what happens when we see that. We also see a chiasmus, and this is a chiasm. Uh, chias- I always mess up this word. Chiastic, there we go. Chiastic poem. And what that means when we think about chiastic, it means if you take it and fold it in half, You're going to see things that are similar lining up together. Now, if we think about that, it's basically, it's not ABA, but it's ABBA. So think about if you have ABBA folded in half, the A's are going to line up, the B's are going to line up. What does that look like in here? Verse 1, lift up my soul. And then when we go to verse 21, wait on you. Same idea. Verse 2 and 3 and verse 20, both hitting being ashamed. And you can go through the whole text of this psalm and see it work like that. Not telling you to fold the page in your Bible and try to do that, but you can do that as you look at the psalm with the ideas lining up. We're also going to see parallelism in here, which is words or concepts that have similar meaning for emphasis. and We're going to see that as we go through here. And if we were looking at this in Hebrew, we would also see assonance and alliteration, assonance where the vowel sounds are sounding similar and the same, and alliteration throughout this. Psalm. And that's if we looked at it in the Hebrew. Now, when we think about this, we see again, which we've seen many times in the introduction, a Psalm of David. Sometimes when we see this, we know right exactly the point in his life when the Psalm is taking place. With this one, we're not exactly sure of the time. But as we go through it, you'll see a part where he recalls and mentions the sin of his youth, which does give us some context. It's got to be later on. In life, that this takes place, that he's able to think of those sins of youth and those sins of that former life. Now, the psalm itself can be broken up into three parts. We see him go for help from God, we see him go for the trust we can have in God's faithfulness, and we see the victory and trust in him that he goes to God. We see the trust that he has, and in that trust, we see the victory. We're going to see David look to God in trouble. And in the midst of sorrow and pain, that's who he's going to. We're going to see the same thing. Remember, when we look at David, we get to see the consistency of one's prayer and praise life. And it makes us look at our own. We're going to see turmoil turning to trusting in God. And that's something we should do ourselves. When turmoil strikes, do you let it take you? Do you move with it? Or do you turn to trusting God? We're going to see him recall his sin life. And in that, it actually draws him to go further in seeking and trusting the Lord. And we're going to be reminded life is a challenge that we can't do without God. Only him. And if you look at this Psalm, when we look at verses 4, 8, 9, and 12, there's a word that we see in all four of those verses. Way. Way. We're going to be reminded. Think of our, his, his word, his spirit, his way. This is an anchor in his way. We're going to be reminded to call on God amidst the storms, but also really every decision. Call on God. We're going to be reminded that there is only one true deliverer. And for us, with the whole counsel of the word of God, we know who that is. Jesus, Mashiach. We're going to be reminded that the access to his deliverance Requires faith and trust in God. Because faith and trust show that you've surrendered to Him. But if there's no faith and trust, if there's no surrender to Him, how can He deliver you? We're going to see David in this psalm go back and forth with prayer and then meditating on the character of God, and then praying and then meditating on the character of God. We're going to see in this a prayer, we're going to see a petition. And it should make us examine our own prayer life. It should make us think about how do I plead before God? Because these are pleas that he's going forth with. How do you plead before God? Another question to ask yourself as we're going through this, do your prayers include reminders of who he is? Because we'll see he has the prayer, but in that meditation, saints, He's reminding himself who God is. He's reminding himself of the faithfulness of God as you go through your requests to God. Do you remind yourself, God, you are good. God, you are faithful. God, you are sovereign. Is that in your prayers? And this is also gonna have us ask ourselves, how do I wait on the Lord? Do you have patience? Can you wait? Can you trust? How do I wait on the Lord? Because if we think about it, when we move forward or when we let that impatience get us, we're not trusting God who's in control. And in this psalm, many times he will point to waiting on you. I will wait on the Lord. How are you with waiting? Raise your hand if you love waiting on the Lord. Hands are going to go up. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it's hard, Right? It's waiting. Where's the answer? What's going on? But may this give us some equipment for as we wait. So let's dig in. Verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And we could stay there all night, but I'm going to try to go through the whole psalm. We're not going to just stay on the first verse tonight. But we could. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Right away, we know from the context I've set, he's in a storm. This is a hard time. In the storm, where do you go? Because at the end of the day, we go to technology, we go to people, we go to books, we go to podcasts. We don't always have our default to you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, that's direct, one source. Who is the you? Lord capital L-O-R-D, with the O, which we've talked about in the Psalms, the emotion and agony that could come through in that O. And then, Lord, that covenant personal relationship, I will lift up, what will we lift up? My soul. What is the soul? My will, my intellect, my emotion. I'm lifting all that up to you. And the first verse, David smacks us in the face with a heart posture. And we've got to ask ourselves, what's your heart posture in prayer? Is your heart posture speaking to the Lord in the midst of that storm or in that prayer? But you're also thinking, when I'm done praying, i got to call Janet and see what she thinks and get some advice on this. Or are you solely focused, I'm lifting my soul to you, just you, Lord. And that soul, intellect, emotion, will. That's all of us. The soul going up to him. Then he continues on. Oh, my God. And he personalizes this now. He personalizes the relationship. He's directing it to the Lord. And then he personalizes it. Oh, my God. In the midst of the storm, saints, do you do that? Do you personalize your prayer to the Lord? Lord, to you, I am coming. To you, I lift up all of my being. You are my God. There's power in reminding ourselves of that. Oh, my God. Not a phrase to just toss out flippantly, which we hear so often, but truly, oh, my God. I trust in you. Trust. When we think about trust, the 1828 Webster's, which you know I'm a fan of, confidence, a reliance or resting in the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, sound principle of another person. Apply that to Jesus. He that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. Trust he or that which is the ground of confidence. O oh Lord God, Thou art my trust from my youth. Psalm seventy one one. Charge received in confidence. Trust that which is committed to one's care. Never violate a sacred trust. Trust confident opinion of any event. His trust was with the eternal to be deemed. Trust, to place confidence in, to rely on. Who cannot trust those who have deceived us? Trust, to believe, to credit. To trust in is to confide in, to place confidence in, to rely on, trust in the Lord and do good. Psalm 37, three. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust engraven Images, Isaiah forty two seventeen, to trust, depend on, confidence in, rely on. The men of Israel trusted to the liars and wait, Judges 20, 36. So when we think of this, first, he's lifting up his soul, all of his being. And then he says, my trust is in you. My trust is in you. True prayer may be described, this is another Spurgeon quote, as the soul rising from the earth to have fellowship with heaven. It is taking a journey upon Jacob's ladder, leaving our cares and fears at the foot, and meeting with a covenant God at the top. That's what we do when we lift our soul. And then as he's saying, my trust is in you. I put all the trust there. And when you think about the depth of what trust means, how's your trust in God? How's your trust with Daddy, Abba, Father? Then we see, going on in that verse, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He says that after full surrender of emotion, intellect, will, all trust is in you. And he's saying then, Lord, that trust that I have in you, don't let them say, oh, he trusted in God. How'd it turn out for you, buddy? No. Don't let that shame come. I am trusting fully in you. Don't let my enemies have victory over me. Indeed, verse three, let no one who wants, who waits on you be ashamed. No shame for the one waiting on God. And that's where we start to see now this waiting, because lifting up his soul, trusting in him in the midst of everything that's going on as he's pleading this. He's saying, I'm waiting on you, Lord. And the one who waits on you is not going to be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Shame to the unrepentant, those without surrender to God. So as he's waiting, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Have you ever had the journey? You pray, no answer. You pray again, no answer. I'm gonna pray about this again, no answer. Been there. And we are now in that place of waiting. It's not easy, it's not fun, and it's essential. It's essential. Waiting on the Lord involves surrender. Waiting on the Lord, we can only do it if our heart posture says, I lift up my soul. Because you could decide, I'm just going to stay looking at the outlook that I have, all of the things that I can see, and then your emotions go wild, then your will starts to kick in. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, then your intellect, you try to rationalize it. No, don't look on the outlook, look upward. Lift up your soul. And don't try to just base it on what you think the circumstance is or try to work it out on your own. Think of Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lifting up that soul, trusting in him. Think of the definitions that we saw of trust. That's what we have to do and it's on him. And it's not on me, which is why the soul is lifting up to him. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. God first, period. In the storm, is it in all the ways? Intellect, emotion, will. That soul in verse one is a powerful thing that we start with because those are the three things we often wrestle with most in trials. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Humility. Then fear the Lord and depart from evil. And we're going to see in this psalm the reverent fear of God. Do you pray for a fear of God? It's healthy, it's good for you, but people don't want to go there. But we have to. And what is it? Health to your flesh and strength to your bones because the inner man is running. And you could be weak and feeble, but there is so much strength for the spirit of Christ that dwells in you. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Think of Matthew 6 and him meeting every single need. My son, do not despise the the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. In that trust, in that acknowledge, while you're waiting, it might be chastening that's going to come. Discipline from the Lord may be the answer to that waiting. And embrace it. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father, the Son, in whom he delights. So that's the depth of waiting. And that waiting is waiting on God's response. It's waiting on God's decision. It's waiting on God's way. It's trusting God's justice. It is trusting God's justice. And then David goes on now to take the waiting and he moves into a plea to God. Verse four. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day the day. Show me, teach me, lead me. Show me, teach me, lead me. Show me is him acknowledging I need to learn. Teach me is acknowledging I can't learn myself. I need you to teach me. And lead me is that surrender and submission. I can't lead myself. Does your prayer life have that? Show me, teach me, lead me. Show me what? Your ways, oh Lord, covenant Lord. Teach me what? Your paths. Lead me in what? Your truth. And teach me. Only him. One way, Yahweh. One way, the word of God. Show me, teach me, lead me. Why? For you are the God of my salvation. For you are the God of God. Of my salvation. He just goes there with that plea. You're the only one that can do this. You're the only deliverer. And that's why he then says on you, Lord. I will wait. I wait all the day. On you, I wait all the day. Notice in this plea, David doesn't set limits on the waiting." It's like when we go and we're waiting on the Lord like, Lord, I trust you. I know you're going to take care of this. If by the end of the week, you could just have me get an answer on dot, dot, dot. No, that's not waiting. That's not waiting on him. Does your plead to the Lord reveal a heart in submission to him? Because if your plea has that, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. There's submission. Because we can't help but ask ourselves, one, do you think you need to be shown? Do you think you need to be taught? Are you teachable? And do you think you need to even be led? Because oftentimes we can come and speak these elaborate prayers, but in our heart, I got this. I got it all under control. I've got everything set and I'm taking care of it. And that's not the case. If we think of Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. We've looked at that before. But then verse nine. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. It's that reminder, we do need to be instructed. We do need to be led. But are you able to be instructed? And are you able to be led? Starts with our relationship with Christ. Carries in the picture of marriage in our homes. Are you able to be led? Then we go on to verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. For they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. He now takes his plea to memory. And in his plea for memory, in the midst of his agony, in the midst of everything going on, he doesn't say, Lord, remember that I'm so perfect coming to you in prayer. Look at me. I'm so good. I'm a good one, God. I'm praying to you. No, he says, remember, O oh Lord, remember you're, you're a tender God. You're a merciful God. You are a patient, loving kindness God. And those, those traits of you, Lord, are from of old. He focuses to God On focusing on his character. By remembering his character. And then he says, Lord, please don't remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. Don't remember how selfish I was. Don't remember how sinful I am. Don't remember how wretched I am. But according to what? Your mercy remember me. And mercy is an important word there. Because mercy we know we're guilty. But God's mercy we don't get the punishment. And what is it for? Your goodness' sake, O oh Lord. Realize His mercy, His goodness, His faithfulness, His long suffering. It's not about us, it's about Him. Think of what we saw in Psalm 23 He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Here we see it a different way that David's saying, and He's consistent with that desire for your goodness' sake. Because everything, all of it, is about you, Lord, it's not about me. In his suffering, in his sorrow, in his plea, it's still all about God. In your suffering and sorrow, is your plea about you, or is it about God's glory? Is it about God getting the glory? Is it about God being lifted on high? David makes his plea, he prays, and now as we go to verse eight, he's going to shift now to, as we talked about, going from that prayer to meditating, And it's important to see in the midst of this, who or what does David meditate on? Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. What does David focus on and meditate on? God, His character, and if we see in this prayer and this praise and the character, He goes to statements of truth, declarative statements of faith. Question to you and your cry out to God. Think about the last time where you had to cry out to the Lord in prayer for something. As you were crying out, did you have any statements of truth of who He was? Did you have any statements reminding yourself, Lord? You are good. Lord, you are on the throne. Lord, you are in control. Lord, this is in your hands. Lord, you are author and finisher. Lord, you are sovereign over all. Is that a part of your prayer life? Because notice, that's what he brings in here. He doesn't just sit on the plead and go to help, 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 help. Help, I'm coming to you, surrendered and submitted. And then he says, good and upright is the Lord translation you're perfect god you are perfect and in your perfection you teach sinners like me the way and this has a such deep profound meaning when we think and read this knowing who the way the truth and the life is and knowing the holy spirit he gives to dwell within us to teach us god will show god will teach god will lead And who does he do that with? Verse nine, the humble. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Humility. In this, as we're thinking of this prayer for deliverance, as we're thinking for this plea, David's also giving us, the Lord uses David to give us a gift because we get the heart we need for deliverance. We get the traits we need soul surrendered, trusting in him, that surrender and understanding you show, you teach, you lead. And then here we see humility because he is good, he is upright, he will teach the way. Verses eight and nine, are these a part of your prayer life? That's the question we have to ask. And in that, do you communicate, do you commune with the word of God enough That you know his character. Because I could say, do you have those statements in your prayer life? Do you have the statements of who God is embedded in your prayer life? But if you're not in the word of God, you're not going to know who he is. You'll know he's God and you could go with the Christianese checklist. He's good. He's faithful. He's just. Amen. But who is he really? And that's where I say prayerfully, see what scripture the Lord is putting in front of you at this season of your life. He has us here. He has us in John on Sundays. And everybody has their own devotional reading time. Look at everything he's putting in front of you in Scripture and say, Lord, reveal to me what you're showing me about your character and where you have me. And then bring that into your prayer life. Bring that into the trials. Bring that into the storms. And bring it with humility that he can then teach you and guide you in justice Because the justice is his righteousness. It's his sovereign will being done, that he can guide you in the way, the word of God. And we see verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. And that strikes because David doesn't have Jesus there, yet see how firm he stands on God. All the paths of the Lord. Every single path that the Lord ordains, mercy and truth. And what does that then show? He goes further to such as keep his covenant, keep that relationship, keep that cling with him, and keep his testimonies, the word. What he's revealed, what he's shown, greater depth for us of meaning with the full word of God. And when we look at that, when we see all of that in this moment, David's doing what he's done before in these storms. Faith over fear. Because he's looking to the character of him. And then that beautiful thing. Do you see the security with that all in verse 10? All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. That could be a character piece you remind yourself in prayer. Lord, every single path of yours is mercy and truth. You are good. You are sovereign. And we go on. Why is that the case? Verse 11. For your namesake, O Lord. He says, for your namesake now, O Lord. Looking at everything that's come before, but then realizing who he is. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And that pardon of iniquity, that forgiveness of sins, knowing how great his sins are, still isn't about him. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive me so that I can feel good about myself. No. For your name's sake, O Lord, that you would be glorified. Your heart of repentance, does it seek God's glory? Does it seek God to be glorified through your heart of repentance? Now, we know in Christ we're new creations. That's a very beautiful truth. But in this, David gives us a reminder. We got to remember how great our sin is. We got to remember the gift we've been given by our Savior in salvation. That points back to that heart posture. It points back to that heart posture because we can't forget that. Then, verse 12: Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. So David now goes on. He's acknowledged the depth of the sin that he has. He's saying it's all about your namesake. And then he points now to something that we cannot forget. Fear of the Lord. And that fear is reverent awe of who he is. It's reverent awe of our God. It's a healthy thing to have, to seek. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him, the one that fears, he teaches in the way He chooses because that reverent awe drives to one thing, obedience. And if you're looking for that obedience, you're in the word of God and you see that fear of the Lord is needed in surrender. With fear of the Lord, he can't teach the one who doesn't fear him. Because then you have no desire to submit. It's that I'm good, everything's fine the way that I am. Fear with my little acrostic things. Face eternal reality and accept you need repentance. That's what we have to do with fear. Face eternal reality and accept you need repentance. You need a savior. You need Jesus. And then when you realize that, realize he is, I'm not. And in that, realize, I surrender. I surrender to your sovereignty. I surrender. You are the king of kings. And in that then, we have to ask ourselves, do you and how are you with embracing reverence of our king? And a few verses earlier, he gave us a key for that humility. Because fear takes humility. Culture does a lot of things with fear where we can think it's this. Oh, I'm scared to my bones. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an awe and wonder of the, in the God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're talking about the God of creation sending his son, God veiled in the flesh, so that you can have eternal life and realizing all the sins, past, present, and future, he's nailed to the cross for you, given you his word that you have and abide in, gives you his Holy Spirit that you can have him dwelling within you to live. Have you not reverent fear of disobeying that God? Does your love for him not drive you towards obedience, towards him? Now the fruit of this revering we see, verse 13. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Eternal prosperity. We're not talking about prosperity gospel, just to be clear here. Then verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he shall show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord. Turn with me to John chapter 14. When we think about the secrets of the Lord, we, with the whole counsel of God, get a little helper to understand the wonder and secrets to the degree the Lord wants us to, because we know some things in His mystery and in His sovereignty. We just got to wait. But when we look, verse 15 of 14 if you love me, keep my commandments. Loving the Lord, keeping his commandments. And then what does he say? I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Who's the helper? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Fear is the beginning of understanding of knowledge. Fear is that submission, surrender to him, And the Holy Spirit then dwells within us. If you love God, you revere God because to love God means to obey him for he is. And the Holy Spirit gives us deeper and deeper understanding that we can then pursue him more. And in John 15, he gives the beautiful portrait of what it is to abide in him. And in verse 15 of that chapter, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. So when we see the secrets in, those in our psalm with the fear of him, we see that, but then take it in the context of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming. And the depth that that then hits for us. And then verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Fear of God crushes pride. The fear of God, because if you think about pride is what kept the Pharisees and those away, but that reverend on fear, he trusts in him and his eyes are towards him. And then look at that imagery. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. Think about a net with a foot caught there. The tender intimacy and love to get that foot out. He knows the faithful love of God. He doesn't know how the deliverance is going to come. He doesn't know how the storm is going to go. But he's waiting knowing he's going to deliver me. And that's something we have to remember in the waiting. And the deliverance will look different ways. Waiting on God doesn't mean getting what you want. It means getting his will we have to understand that because sometimes it is that answer to prayer, but sometimes that answer to prayer, somebody, we're praying, they're ill, they're ill, they're ill. He takes the illness away or he takes them out of the illness and brings them home to him. It's resting in his will, resting in his sovereignty. Then verse 16, he goes back to praying now. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me. He starts by saying, I'm looking to you. Look to me, Lord. And again, he goes for that mercy. I know I'm guilty, but I need you, God. And now after focusing on the faithful character of God, he brings in the state of his being in these next verses, which I think is important for us because I know I can make my jokes about feelings. Faith over feelings. But you can and you should let God know the state of your circumstance. Look at what he says. For I am desolate and afflicted. Desolate, afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged agony. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Notice in the midst of him talking about his state of being, repentance is right in the middle. Then he says, consider my enemies for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred He gives his whole state of being here. Desolate, afflicted, troubles, my heart's enlarged, distresses, affliction, pain. Forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. Forgive me. But see the state in these enemies. They hate me. They're coming for me. After the faith, he says where he is. And then he gives a key that's important to us to do. Verse 20. Keep my soul and deliver me. Notice he doesn't just say there, All of that, and this is what's going on, and this is the state of my being. Deliver me. Lord, in the midst of all of that, keep my soul. Intellect, emotion, will. In the midst of your storm, saints, do you pray to the Lord, keep my soul? Because if you're asking the Lord to keep your soul, that is a powerful prayer. Because that's saying, Lord, help my emotions to stay easy within this. Don't let me run all over the place. Help me, help my intellect, Lord. Don't make me start going to Dr. Google. Help my will, Lord. Let me be resting in your sovereignty. Keep my soul. Keep it in submission. Keep it in surrender to your sovereignty. And deliver me. Because he knows that deliverance will come. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Again, he says that. That's that uh, forming and folding over that we talked about. He's now saying, don't let that shame come. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. And that integrity, that uprightness that he's seeking to preserve him, where is it coming from? For I wait, for I wait for you. Who is he waiting on? God. Who's the only deliverer? God. Who is the one that's going to show him, lead him, teach him? God, only him. He knows in the midst of the storm, it's only going to be God. And he's waiting for him. And in the midst of the waiting, he says, keep my soul. And he says, deliver me. He doesn't say how. He says, deliver me. I think sometimes in that, when we look at the simplicity of his words to a degree, it reminds us too, sometimes we gotta just simplify I think that's why the Lord gives us the gift in Romans. When we don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit will pray with an utterance or groaning. Say less sometimes. Keep my soul, deliver me. And rest in his sovereignty. Rest in the fact he is in control. And then we get the final verse of this text. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. So we go through all of this and we see His intimacy with God, his desire to come. We see the praying and the meditating. And then suddenly now it's a complete, you could almost say, wait a second, am I still reading the same psalm? Wait, redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. He's worked it all out with the Lord, laid everything, and now he shifts beyond himself, which is an important reminder to us to pray for others. It's not just about you or your sphere of who you know because I don't think he knows everybody in Israel, but he's praying on their behalf. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. Now in this moment when he is saying that, an important message hits for us, because I think we've talked a bunch and people want to see revival. But notice how he goes to the Lord, pleads with the Lord, repents before the Lord. Starts with him. And then he prays for the others, and it's not even praying anything but redemption. Redeem them. Save them. Redeem them. Bring them back to you. I encourage every single person that reads this psalm, pray that for Israel right now. And that hits what we need to be praying for, salvation. Because we have the whole word of God. We know a third's going to get through the tribulation. Two-thirds are going to be destroyed Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. It's a prayer that we should pray right now as we delve and we commune with him. But a reminder from David, before we seek to solve the world issues, get yourself right with your king. Focus on the relationship you have with him. It's good to serve the Lord. It's good to be about his business. But check sometimes, are you so busy You're forsaking your own intimacy with your Savior. Make sure you take that time to go through that prayer, not just in the storms, but always. There's so much to glean from this psalm. Yes, applicable to when we are in a storm and need deliverance, but to just our prayer lives also. So our charge for this week, one, how do you wait? What does waiting on the Lord look like for you? How do you wait? What does waiting on the Lord look like to you? And are you waiting on the Lord for something right now And you're in prayer and maybe you need to shift a little bit? Are you in full surrender? Are you bringing statements of faith and truth to who he is, to the storm that you're in right now? Do you let God build your patience? Do you let God build it? He gives us opportunities to wait on him. Two, how is your heart posture in your pleading to God? Think of what you're going to the Lord for, what you're pleading the Lord for in prayer. How's your heart posture? Are you able to start it with, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul and know it's all surrendered. Oh, my God, I trust in you. Is there sin that needs to be repented of? Sin that needs to be acknowledged? Is your soul truly looking up to him? Emotion, intellect, will. Are they all yielded to him? How is your heart posture with your pleading? And three, how's your fear? How's your reverent awe of God? Do you pray for reverent awe of the God of creation? It's a bold prayer to pray, but do you pray it? That you would have a reverent awe of your savior, of your king, That then from that, you would be able to have him guide you in his justice, have you teach his way. From this whole psalm, we see David's plea, remembering who he is, but it's so resting in one God, the wonderful counselor. Remember when we saw that Isaiah text? Wonderful counselor. There's only one deliverer, Jesus. So, again, one, how do you wait? What's your heart posture? How's your reverent awe of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, even when we are faithless, Heavenly Father. Lord, you know the depths of each person's heart, mind, and soul. You know everything that each person's going through, Lord. And when we think of storms, Heavenly Father, it looks different for each and every single person. And Lord God, we pray that in the midst of the storms we've been in or those that may come, Lord, that we would approach them with our souls upward to you. We would approach them trusting in you. We would approach them remembering you are good, you are upright, you are faithful. And Lord, that we would just humbly bow our hearts in awe and wonder and reverence Of the God of creation. The God of all glory. Lord help us to seek you more. Help us to commune with you more. Help us to run the race for your glory as you need Lord. Speak to each person here Lord. And I pray that we each chew on this psalm. Meditate on it Lord. And allow you to continue to work on our hearts. What you need done to refine us for your glory. Thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for this time. I pray for travel mercies as each one heads back to their homes. And may we rest well and rise, if you will, to continue running the race for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.